Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey everyone, it's another week of Cinematics. This is episode 170. We are currently in the middle of our holiday week. Our co-host Bruce Porky, again, yet again, is trying to be very dedicated and saying during the dead week when most people are dead, other than Bruce Perky, he actually wants to do a show on this week. And I, I think Eric Holmes, you were all about doing a show this week too, right? You weren't going to... Uh, yeah. cash it all in like like me I, was, I wanted to cash in my my two cents and and just forget this whole podcast feed this week but you were were you in cahoots with bruce and actually doing your job i i this is my favorite thing to do every week so i'm not gonna miss it oh okay i, I my favorite thing to do this week family show so moving forward bruce Perky. <laughs> no but of course you guys are can come come first for me uh family show bruce Perky, how's your uh, christmas holidays going how's that going for you how's that how's that working uh, pretty good. Uh, we had uh, the weekend off, and then I was back to work. And uh, yesterday at the store, there was a service animal in the store, which happens pretty often. But being Alabama, we got a service goat in the store. So that was a first. Service goat. What did the service goat do? Just eat the weeds around a, the landscaping around the area? It, it, or it, It's a family show, Greg. We can't talk about that. <laughs> we can't talk about that. Oh, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So... Or oh girl, oh girl, I don't want, I don't want to be a, a gender specific kind of situation. What did the goat do? Uh, the goat stood in line with the rest of the people and had an, a cute little vest that said it was a working animal. That's it. And the, the, the vest did have pronouns, a little pin to say what the pronouns were. Look, I'm not going to get okay. them. Have either of you ever had goat in your life? Because I, I've never had goat. Oh, okay. You've, you've tried goat. Yeah. Goat, goat's milk, goat cheese, lots of goat. What about goat Paraphernalia. itself? Goat, goat the meat. Yeah. How is goat meat? I think that's, that, that's uh, veal, right? Isn't that goat or no? I, I believe veal is a baby cow. I, am I wrong, Bruce? What is veal? You are the Jeopardy uh, or not? Not, uh, not never mind. I'm thinking lamb. Mm-hmm. But to the slaughter, way. but no, so goat, maybe, so, I have, maybe I haven't had goat uh, specifically. But, but you've had you've had lamb. You've had yeah. lamb before, Bruce. If you had lamb or goat, or are you vegan or gluten free or? Lactose intolerant. What are you, have you tried any of these? A lot of choices you've given me <laughs> a lot, there. A lot of choices. I'm, I'm throwing out I there for you. I have had lamb for sure. Mm-hmm. A goat, I don't believe so. Veal, I don't remember. I do remember seeing the South Park episode, but I don't think I've had it as a food item. Uh, for years. What else did you oh, ask never. Me? I lost track. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's okay. I, I used to, as a kid, love veal. I used to have veal parmesan all the time until they told me the story about how veal is made. And ever since then, I've decided not to ever have yeah. veal again. But it's like the yeah. uh, uh, what's that? Uh, foie gras. Foie gras. Foie gras. Yeah, yeah. I was going to try that at one point, and then they then I found out like how they made that, and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> Eric Holmes, how how has this week been? I, Bruce said he's been working a lot this week, even though it's he had Saturday and Sunday off. But did you have you had extra time this week, or is it work as usual this week? Uh, it says, well, I mean, it was Christmas, so we watch a bunch of Christmas movies with the, the kids and everything. Uh, we watched that A Christmas Story Christmas. Actually, watched that like two or three times this week. So that was, uh, that was pretty fun. And then, yeah, all the Christmas stuff. It, it was a pretty good week, I think. Okay. You are a fan of what is it? The Night Stalker, that being Darren McGavin. Mm-hmm. Darren McGavin starred in A Christmas Story. When you first saw A Christmas Story, did you already know? all about Kolchak, the Night Stalker, before you saw A Christmas Story. Bruce, how did I do on that question? Not bad, huh? That's, that's me then doing my, doing my, okay, sorry. Um, I, I didn't know about Kolchak till like way late. Um, hmm. It was actually uh, Bruce on uh, Rustemeyer, you interviewed uh, uh, Mark DeWidziak. And it wasn't until I started like listening to his interviews online where I even found out about Kolchak. And then I went back and watched the Night Stalker, Night Strangler, a couple of the episodes. But it wasn't, it wasn't, hey, that's Terry McGavin. It's, hey, it's the dad from a Christmas story. So when you saw all of that, I guess you went through a Night Stalker binge, Kolchak binge. Once you did that, did you appreciate McGavin more or did you always appreciate him even before you learned from that DeWidziak interview with? chat with bruce did you uh, already know how awesome darren mcgavin is was yeah that, I, I mean i loved him in the christmas story and i loved him even more in the night stalker and the night strangler in cool chat 
I, that's just a great character. I, I really hopefully they like bring him back somehow because I think it's like uh it's kind of like they call it a proto X Files, mm-hmm. which it, it pretty much is. But he's just a great character, and you get the right actor to like. Obviously, you can't bring Darren McGavin back, but you get like a actor that can kind of pull that same thing off. You'd have a pretty cool movie or show or whatever you want to do with it. Someone's got to own the characters. I, I say bring it back. Speaking of a pretty cool show, Bruce Perky, me and Eric Holmes, we're doing a, a sabotage of the show. We're not talking about this documentary called Turn Every Page. We are not doing your box movie, Cat O' Nine Tales, directed and penned by Dario Argento. And we are not going to cover R- Ryan or Rian or Rihanna Johnson's new movie, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. We're not covering that. Eric Holmes and I have elected to actually do a Darren McGavin special episode where we're going to cover a whole bunch of Darren McGavin <laughs> movies. And my last Darren McGavin mention is, Bruce, you and I are the same generation and wonder that I have a re- I'm going in a logical fashion, in a very illogical way. But when did Darren McGavin first come into your life? Because, and this is why I'm, I'm on this McGavin spin. When I was a kid, I remember this Ray Bradbury miniseries or limited series. Maybe it was a movie called The Martian Chronicles. I believe the actor was Nicholas Hammond. I knew him from Spider-Man. And I remember as a kid, I still have not rewatched The Martian Chronicles. The only thing I remembered was it's ba- at eight or nine years old that it was based on a Ray Bradbury story. Nicholas Hammond was in the movie and i think i was terrified for him for what happened to him or whatever and it also starred darren mcgavin at eight or nine years old i knew who darren mcgavin was so my question to you bruce when did you know who darren mcgavin was and does he is that why he's so uh memorable because he has a certain presence like he did with kolchak or a christmas story uh yes on the presence question for sure he's memorable because of that i first knew him when i watched the night stalker series when it first aired amazing Wait, wait, when, when it first aired, you so you were still a kid when you were watching this stuff? Yes. Yeah. Uh, is this why you turned out to be Bruce Perky right now? You're, it's, it's one of the reasons for sure. Yeah, I loved it. It was on <laughs> weird late night TV, and I remember I'd getting sucked into it because I used to have to try to sneak away and watch scary stuff. Uh, when I was five, I got in trouble for sneaking away to watch Dark Shadows, the soap opera. So Did you – okay, five or six or maybe even seven. I'm going to even push it to seven when you're starting to watch Kolchak, I'm assuming – Maybe even a, a, yeah, five to seven, six to seven. Were you terrified by that, or did it, did you pro, were you able to process it, or did it just hold your imagination and set you on this path for this genre horror thriller genre that you would eventually be passionate about the rest of your life? Yeah, a little of both. I mean, definitely there was some scary. Some of the episodes were kind of scary. I remember there was one with a zombie where he had to like sew a guy's mouth shut and do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so I was a little bit scared by those. I was a little bit scared by some of the Twilight Zones and some of the you know Outer Limits and all that. So sure. But also, I was kind of knew it wasn't real, but that's how it works, right? Kind of both. Eric Holmes, when am I going to let my six-year-old niece... I still haven't watched Kolchak, The Night Stalker. I, I did get The Night Stalker on Blu-ray via, via Kino Lorber. I haven't checked out that out yet. But Eric Holmes, what's the age when my, my niece, Claire, can start watching the Kolchak uh, projects as well as Twilight Zone? What would you say as an uncle yourself? I would say pretty young because they're, they're like, uh, they're kind of spooky, but they're not, I don't recall them like being like overly gory. Mm. Kind of similar thing with uh, Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, you know, played on TV. So obviously it wasn't going to go uh, real deep there as far as like gore goes. That'd be a good uh, gateway in the horror. So you probably start pretty young on that. But I, I, I just remembered that uh, Jeremy Gavin was in the uh, Inherit the Wind, one of the versions of Inherit the Wind. And I can't find the movie, but he was in this movie I saw a lot as a kid. It was like Boomerang, some, the dog that does some. I, I can't remember what it was. Okay. Um, but I didn't know that was him. So uh, th- those are some other Darren McGavin stuff that I, I forgot about from my childhood. Okay, Eric Holmes, you've seen every iteration of Inherit the Wind. How is the iteration of Darren McGavin? This is a hearkening back to one of our early Find Your Film. I was going to say R.I.P. It's still going on. I still have to put up our episode. Sorry, Bruce, about the (laughs) cure and Sagasu. But Eric Holmes, what is your, how was he in Inherit the Wind? Did you like that iteration? Yeah, that that was the one with uh, Kirk Douglas, I think, the one mm-hmm. that he was in. And I kind of wish that uh, Darren, Darren McGavitt had a pretty small part in that. I kind of wish he had uh, had uh, Kirk Douglas's part. But Kirk Douglas was great in it, too, so it worked out. Or probably, like, even Jason Robart's part would have been even better. Okay. 
Okay. Bruce, did you see, did you hear Eric Holmes backtrack when he was saying that he should have replaced Kirk Douglas? Because we all know how much Eric Holmes really loves Kirk Douglas and his films. And it's not just Ace in the Hole. (laughs) Bruce Berge, what's another film of Kirk Douglas that Eric Holmes likes? This is a a test that we listen to each other as human beings. What other Kirk Douglas film does Eric Holmes love? Um, I'm going to say... Don't say Tough Guys. What? Fury. The Fury. Oh, how dare you go? How dare you straight through my Brian De Palma heart, Bruce Perky. Very good. Eric Holmes. But hey, you know what? I'm going to tell you what I think Eric Holmes, Eric Holmes, I know what movie you think is better than The Fury, even though it's apples and oranges. I'm going to tell you right now, which movie you prefer over The Fury. And I'm going to, I'm going to lay my, my ace in the hole. This is my ace in the hole, Eric Holmes. And I'm not going to say ace in the hole, but the movie that you prefer a little bit more than The Fury, even though The Fury is very fun. We love BDP. We love BDP. That movie will be only the brave, right? Oh, that's a good one, too. I, I was going to say Paths of Glory, but like oh. the, the, they're all, I mean, they're all bangers as far as I'm concerned. They're all bangers. Okay, so let's see. Top five, before we get into our movies, top five Kirk Douglas movies, Eric Holmes, a little bit of Find Your Film Redux for our listeners. <laughs> what, oh. what should they watch? Come on. Let's do well, it. Shoot, I, I I guess we went through all mall. Um, so oh, yeah, de- definitely Paths of Glory, Ace in the Hole, uh, the Fury, in- Inherit the Wind, the Fury, and um, oh, only the brave, only the brave. Uh, That's five. Oh, shoot, what was that? Tough guys. I'm that. kidding. What? No, no. What? No, there there was like one of the first ones he was in. I can't remember the name of it. The Big Tree. What? I don't know. No, I I have no. to look it up. I, Ulysses? I can't remember the name. Of Ulysses. It. What? No, he was like he was like. Uh, I know what it is. He was the like a movie producer. The bad and the beautiful. That, was that the one where he's the yeah, movie yeah. producer and everyone? The bad and the beautiful. Him? Yeah, that that one was really good. Okay, see, there you go. Little, uh, you know, Kirk Douglas and Darren McGavin episode, Bruce. I think I'm going to start. Now we're going to we're going to dovetail right into Carol Channing. This is our Carol Channing segment. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, Bruce, so let's go through the Tom Wopat IMDb. <laughs> by the way, okay, there you go, Eric Holmes. Did you know Tom Wopat is an excellent singer? FYI. I figured as much. You figured as much, don't you? Just you me. Don't you just assume he's amazing, Tom Mopat? And I'm, that is not me kidding. I remember back in the early aughts, I used to actually love Tom Mopat as a singer. I, I don't remember the exact tracks. Maybe they were jazz tracks or old standards or whatever. He's a really good performer, great artist. So that we're done with Tom Mopat. We're done with Darren McGavin. We're Moving done on with Idol Lupino. I, we're going to Ida Lupino. Ida Lupino. Bruce, what made Ida Lupino or Ida Lupino? How do you pronounce Ida or Ida? Is it <laughs> we Ida never figured Ida? it out, did we? <laughs> Is it like... Lupino or Lupina? It's Lupino. Let's just say Lupino. Ida Lupino, very great director. Favorite Ida Lupino movie, Bruce Berkey. I'm going to say her episodes of the Batman TV series from the 60s. That's what I'm going to say. Okay, he's going to say that. But we all know, we all know that if we actually did, all of us are in, in our later years our tumnal years we actually have an ida or ida lupino i apologize tcm fans and cinephiles we have if you go to our find your film podcast and look for ida lupino we have a special episode regarding her i think i forgot the, the movie that she directed that was it was not called the strangler was it called the hitcher the hitcher or something that one, the yes. hitchhiker Hey, the Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker. Thank you, Eric Holmes. That That one's really good. That is a fantastic. And that's a movie that still holds up today. She was an excellent filmmaker, excellent producer, excellent actress in, I was going to say in a lonely place, but there was a, no, no, no. There was a movie that she starred in with Robert Ryan set out in the snow. I forgot what that movie was, but she's an amazing. We're actually folks. This is a, this was going to be a 10 minute Christmas episode, (laughs) but we are retroing everything. We're going to start right now from Babylon, talk about all the silent film stars. And we're going to end the episode with the, uh, Will Smith's Emancipation. So we're, we're running the gamut. We're on we're on a minute number nine. We're going to go up for about 569 minutes. You ready for this, Eric Holmes? You ready? Yes. You, you, oh, yes. <laughs> Are you ready, Bruce, for, for the history of Hollywood on, on, uh, on Find Your Film Cinematics? This is our Hollywood Babylon. This is what we're doing right now. Okay, I got you. Uh, Black Dahlia. There you go. Black Dahlia directed by... I love Black Dahlia, by the way, a little Black Dahlia story. Did you know that James Elroy, I actually had lunch with James Elroy, the writer of Black Dahlia. Did you guys hear that story that I ever did with James Elroy? James oh. Elroy. Do you know who James Elroy is? Eric Holmes, James Elroy. I know yeah, the I name. I'm trying to James, think of what he does. I, obviously he, Black Dahlia, but he was, a, he was, his book, LA Confidential was eventually made into a movie directed right. by, but yeah, you know that. Have you ever seen LA Confidential, Eric Holmes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Years Got ago. The Russell Crowe, Dane DeVito. Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. Those well, two are in a bunch of this, movies together. This is going to be Danny DeVito. 
Danny, very good. Danny DeVito, Kevin Spacey, great Kevin Spacey moment in that movie, along with, yeah, no, great. That Spacey moment is very memorable. I think, Bruce, you know what I'm talking about. Now, James Elroy, and then this is our final detour. Did you know that Bruce got, Bruce and Eric, I had lunch with James Elroy one day to interview him for, I believe, I graduated. No, it was during the time when I was a UCLA Daily Bruin film critic, and I did a couple of columns on the Black Dahlia. I don't know if I ever told the story, even though I named it so. left and right. Wait, wait, yes, sir? I, I don't think he told it. It no. doesn't sound familiar so far. This is one of the worst interviews I ever gave. You know why? He psyched me out. As soon as I sat, I sat down in this really posh eatery on Sunset Boulevard, I sat down and was ready to pull out my tape recorder and start recording the interview with Mr. James Elroy, really nice guy. He verbatim quoted the first several lines of my latest column on the Black Dahlia. I was honored, but I was also very intimidated that he would do that because I can never any, I, I will never be able to quote anything that I wrote or said because they're not memorable. But anyways, that was my James Elroy Black Dahlia story. They're speaking to Dahlia and Elroy in mysteries. Eric Holmes, what kind of mystery do you and Bruce, we alluded to it earlier this episode. What are you and Bruce going to be talking about later in the episode as far as mystery goes? Oh, it's a, it's a very crunchy onion, very hard onion. I believe it's made out of glass. And it's uh, from the director of The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson. That's Ryan pretty, Johnson. Pretty good one. Where does The Last... Pretty good one. Pretty, pretty good one. Where does The Last Jedi rank as far as Star Wars films for you, Eric Holmes? I, I think it's my favorite one. But that's, that's, not a, uh, that's not a popular opinion, but... Are you, I, I are you surprised? Great. Are you surprised it's not a popular opinion? Because are there people who... You no. Do, no? Oh. No. Because the thing is, it's a great movie. And if Star Wars fans are known for one thing, is that they hate great movies. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, I, I'm trying to get down once here. Do we do we cut that Eric, that Eric Holmes bite or do we keep it in, in the, the show? What do we do? I think you isolate it and make it a clip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You know what? Send, send it's, all all about the, it's all about the views and the eyeballs and the hits, man. <laughs> okay. How dare you? How dare you, Bruce Perky, to, to actually appeal to my basis instincts? We're going to use that clip. <laughs> if you have a problem with what Eric Holmes is, says about Star Wars and, and Ryan Johnson, the, what what is it? The Last Jedi? The Return of the Jedi? What is it? The Last Jedi? Yep, the Last Jedi. The Last Jedi being the best out of the Star Wars. If you have questions and you want to take it up with Eric Holmes, you can just email him at Perky at gmail.com and you'll be fine okay just always do that sorry for the dad joke okay so glass onion a knives out mystery will be covered by bruce perky and eric holmes what is our box movie for this episode cat o nine tales by uh Dario argento from 1971 i didn't look i think this is this is his second big release i think after bird with the crystal plumage i don't know i i think it is what really is interesting for me is you are a huge Argento fan, and is it just by happenstance that you had never come across this movie, you had not seen it? It would just yeah, I don't know why. I, I caught up on a couple of his older ones recently. I also did the uh, Four Flies on Gray Velvet, which I believe came out right after this. So his trilogy, I guess they call it his Animal trilogy or whatever. And I'd only ever caught up with uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage before this. So yeah, okay, cool, very very cool. That's we will be covering, and we'll see if Cat of Nine Tails. Or the cat of nine tails. I don't even know if you put the the or not. I saw I saw bits and pieces of it, bits and pieces of it on Shutter as of two hours ago. It said the cat of nine tails, but sometimes people call it cat of nine tails. We'll get to the bottom of this by the end of the episode. Eric Holmes, you know what? You've seen those two Christmas movies. What have you seen the last week, Bruce? Other than Argento, is there anything else you want to recommend within the last week before we get into dive into our main feature? Hmm. Uh, the last week, what else did I see? I did see uh, an old '70s mutant monster movie, but I'm not going to talk about it because I talk about it on the upcoming Force Five movie podcast. <laughs> cross cross promote. There you go. Cross promote. That is Jason Kleberg's Force Five podcast or Force Five movie podcast. I like to call them either way. Bruce Berge, what was it like recording with Kleberg? Was it was it a fun job that you actually were able to talk to someone who's a professional podcaster like me and Eric? It was fun. Uh, it was different. I was a bit of a movie booty call, I think, because uh, his date had fallen through. So <laughs> he had to settle for me. But I think it turned out good because uh, instead of bringing the usual uh, esoteric and art house movies and uh, very deep subjects, I brought mutant animal attack movies. So there you go. <laughs> okay, so that's going to be released via his Patreon or just maybe this week on his regular feed. 
445. Do you have an idea? Or you I, just think it's, I think it's going to be on the regular feed. Although at some point we might do another uh, thing where it's Eric versus me. Uh, since I beat him last time, we have to do a, a rematch, I think, at some point on that. And what do you personally, because you are you and Eric are avid listeners to the show, what stands out as far as Jason's podcast, Force 5 podcast for you? I mean, he has seen so many weird movies that I've never seen. He seems to be a super fan of, of cult cinema in a lot of ways. He does a lot of other stuff too, but cult cinema, he has, he has got it. And he just knows everything about physical media, especially in the last, I don't know, 20 years of his release of physical media. So he's got me way buried on that knowledge base. So it's fun for me to listen to all that stuff. So yeah, actually what's great about, you know, do you want to add something, Eric Holmes, about Force 5? Any, anything, uh, words of wisdom? You've talked to Jason a couple of times. You've listened to it. What what stands out for you regarding Force 5? Oh, uh, well, there's there's the one thing. I don't know if he wants me to talk about it, but he's a pretty good writer. And uh, I like, like the uh, guests just kind of... I'm sure we'll hear it with Bruce, but like they always come in with a oddball list and just always brings up a movies or movie related stuff. That's like, oh yeah, I would never thought of that. Learn a couple movies from listening to it. It's good stuff. Okay, good stuff. I really enjoyed. You get a little bit of Hollywood history. You actually every single week he has a different guest, and you it, each week is just sort of a different tone because it really hinges upon the personality of the guest as well as the subject matter, and then. Sometimes, like Eric, Bruce, you were talking about the physical media. He'll have some reviews of some latest physical media releases, which as a Blu-ray and DVD enthusiast myself, I'm really excited to listen to. I love listening. I mean, I think this was months ago. I love listening to his review of the Walter Hill classic, Extreme Prejudice. I say classic because I'm assuming it's a classic because it's Walter Hill. I have it sitting on my shelf right now. I still have not seen Extreme Prejudice. Have you ever seen? I think you've seen Extreme Prejudice, Eric Holmes, maybe 25 years ago. Bruce, you're nodding your head. You've seen that movie already. Yeah. What about you? Okay. You loved it? You like Extreme Prejudice? I remember liking it a lot. I did see it back like 25 years ago, whenever it came out. Cool. What about you, Eric? Do you remember it? I don't know if I've seen this. I, the, you said the name, and I'm looking it up now. I don't think I've seen this one. Look, how about this? Nolte, Powers, Powers Booth, Michael Hannon's side. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> You're in, right? Look, it's not. Ooh, I mean, written by John Millis. I am so in. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, it's actually. Nancy Brown, Rip Torn, Williams, Forsyth. What the? <laughs> Is this an Eric Holmes special ensemble cast, right? How did I not see this? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you should see this movie, Eric. Oh, wow. Like tomorrow. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the whore, the whore, Mr. Kurtz, he dead. So today is today is going to be second Christmas. <laughs> second Christmas, Eric Holmes. Now let's see if it's really Christmas for our feature review this week, and that is the documentary "Turn Every Page." It's in theaters in New York and L.A. December thirtieth, and it centers on the lives of Robert A. Caro and Robert Gottlieb. One of the greatest issues invoked by the life of Lyndon Baines Johnson, the relationship between means and ends. No question is more important than that. I love those books. I love those books. Robert Caro's work goes so beyond empathy. There is healing in it and strength and power. The power broker helped to shape how I think about politics. He reminds us how power changes all of our lives. If we understand power, then maybe we can imagine a better future. Bob Gottlieb is a superb editor. The most important editor of the post-war period. So about how many books have you edited? Between 600 and 700. Bob cared as much about the writing as I did. Two guys with the best in their field. Bob Carroll, the greatest political writer of our time. Bob Gottlieb, the greatest editor of his time. Robert Carroll's in his 80s and everybody wants the story to be finished. He's running out of time. He's industrious. He would hate to think he was like me. <laughs> he does the work. I do the cleanup. Then we fight. We will get this next book when he's damn well ready to give it to us, and not until then. Oh, that's what we got to date. For them, words matter. Mood matters. Rhythm matters. Commas matter. Semicolons matter. And the fights go on. Sometimes I'm looking for an adjective. I make a whole list. But if he overuses them, it doesn't read well. We've had some real fights about sections that he's wanted to cut out. It was not that I was trying to tear his bleeding heart out of his chest. 
They both want the best book possible. They both do. And they both want it for each other. 50 years. Five books. 4,888 pages. And they're not finished yet. A lot of angry things were said. It's not because I didn't think it was valuable material. But I just wasn't going to do that. Okay. We're ready to go. Now that's a good ending. Because I'm editing. Because that's what I do. So they're both named Robert, Bob and Bob. Robert E. Caro is a best-selling author, Pulitzer Prize-winning author of a couple of books. One of them is The Power Broker, and it's an epic tome on the one of New York's master builders. I Also a lifelong, just volume, several volumes, I believe almost, I think four volumes on the life of Lyndon B. Johnson. Yeah. So it centers on Robert A. Caro. You're right. Robert A. Caro's lifelong work, starting with the power broker, and then his lifelong dedication to the life of President Lyndon Johnson. Okay, so he's the author. It also centers on his relationship with Robert Gottlieb, a very powerful and knowledgeable editor. And and for a while, he was the editor in chief over at Knopf, and then over at the New Yorker as well. So these are two heavyweights in the literary world, and it's it's very. So when you're thinking publishing world. A lot of it is set in New York, but there are a lot of twists and turns in this documentary that is very fun to check out. If you are, first of all, if you're a fan of books, I know that's a general thing. If you're a fan of reading, people writing on typewriters, research, New York, that whole publishing world in that city, I think this will really capture your imagination. It captured my imagination as well. The, the imagination as well. The movie is, the, the, the documentary is directed by Lizzie Gottlieb. She is the daughter of editor Robert Gottlieb. I really loved everything about this movie. That said, I wonder if my love for this movie is because of my own just narrow-minded love for New York when I used to go there all the time from the 80s to the early aughts. Actually, not the early aughts, before 9-11. So I went there a bunch of times. I, I lived there for a while brought back a lot of memories of Central Park and the Bronx and the boroughs, et cetera, and just that whole vibe. And I, back in the day before I became a podcaster and a reviewer of films, I was an avid reader. So it brought back a lot of sentimental memories. Is this movie, Turn Every Page, a very specified documentary that I love because it was specific, or does it have a general purpose? Is it just great because it's great? Let's go to Bruce Perky and let's see. What, what do you think? Turn Every Page, broad appeal, or maybe... Too specified for the average audience. Well, uh, a good documentary, like we talked about this every time, but a good documentary, a lot of times will bring something to light that you don't know anything about. This movie or talks a lot about this thing called books. Something about books. I've never heard of these things. So <laughs> I was already like interested, like, what are these things called books? No, uh, this, uh, <laughs> this is a really, I think this is a really good documentary. I think this is one of those movies. It's funny because the books that he writes are hard sells, right? There's these books about these big political, powerful people, these giant tomes, you know, his, they talk about his first manuscript. They say that it literally, the paper pile was so thick of the finished manuscript of the power broker that the people said, we can't publish it because it would break the binding. So you need to cut like, what do they say? Like 400 pages or something ridiculous, like some amazing amount of pages he had to cut from the book that was already so giant. And they said, you have to cut it down to get it to fit in this. And when you hear that, like, okay, okay, giant book, about political stuff sounds very dry and very uninteresting. And the whole point of his books is how he he takes these seemingly uninteresting, dry topics, and he really is just all about the context and all about breathing the entire life into the subjects, like how these subjects affect everybody, from the person on the street that lived next to you know a building to the people that were there before, to the people now. And, and he just creates this really rich world. Similarly, this movie seems like it would be a really dry, really boring subject, you know, about a writer that's, you know, very famous, but old and about a publisher who's very famous, but old. And they're just going to pretty much talk about what they do and, you know, follow them around doing what they do. And it's not boring. Because these are showing two people who are extremely passionate and extremely driven about their art, right? And I don't think it really matters whatever documentary you have about an artist that's extremely driven and extremely talented and like obsessive, because these are both obsessive people. I think if you're interested in people and interested in stories, I think you'll be interested in it. And I think that's how this works for me. That is very good. That's a very positive review from Bruce Perky. Eric Holmes, your take on Turn Every Page. What did you think? 
Uh, yeah. If, if you told me uh, yesterday or uh, a week ago that I would love a documentary about the writer of a Lyndon B. Johnson <laughs> series of books. Yeah, five-part like, series or whatever. <laughs> you're out of your mind. That, that sounds horribly boring. But I actually love the hell out of this, especially Robert Gottlieb. And a lot of what... I- <laughs> Yeah, a lot of what I loved about this was it. They do a great job of seeing what what it is to be a writer and what it is to be a good editor. Like when Robert Gottlieb goes through uh, Robert Caro, like what he edits like from his books, and he is like really detailed in what he looks for, or what he looks to cut, and why he looks to cut it. And you know, there was a uh, what what was the word? It's like Robert Caro says that you hate this word, and he's like. I don't hate the word. You just you can't use it three hundred times in a in you know a chapter. It is too much. There was a whole uh, big argument uh, segment about the use of the semicolon. Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah. and then there was also like a a bit where like he's like I'm doing this as a reader. Like uh, you know Robert Carey, I guess when he writes, he wants to make sure he's absolutely clear about everything, which you want to do when you write something. That's clarity is what you're looking for. But then Robert Gottlieb, he's like I'm a reader and I got it. I'm I'm reading this paragraph and everything after it, and you're repeating yourself. Got it. Let's cut that. And the only thing I didn't like about this movie, and I understand why they did it, because they explain in the documentary why they did it. The very end where they where they cut the silence or they play mm-hmm. a song over the thing. Right. I wanted to see that. Like they they built up to that point, and and you kind of you kind of see them doing the thing and uh you can kind of imagine what it'd be like but th- this movie was like like a great appetizer like i want to i want to get in more and see more about robert gottlieb and robert carroll and god willing i hope that there's something of them like actually working together because i would love to be a fly on the wall just seeing how they break down books and just like you know cut it you know edit you know make notes and stuff just go back the the whole writing process of it just seems so exciting to me in a way that i didn't think would like i i think writing's great but i don't get to usually collaborate with people in the way that uh robert gottlieb and robert caro do and i think they they just have a wonderful collaboration even though they butt heads a lot but i mean that's kind of that's kind of the fun of it because they're so passionate you know caro's like i need this and robert gottlieb's like you don't need that get it you know and so they'll butt heads a lot but I, i think uh Kind of like Bruce said, and um, you know, it has to do with their passion, and it it comes through a lot. Also, Bill Clinton, I'm surprised he's not dead. He looks like a <laughs> he looks like the crib keeper in there. Oh, and Ethan Hawke's in it. Ethan yep. Hawke's is a banger, <laughs> and Co- and Conan O'Brien's in it as well. And yeah. we also for it's a little part of the movie, but we also it also just glorifies or spotlights actually spotlights the the beauty of researching as well. There's a set, oh, a small section, would, yeah. Yeah, and there's a section where Robert and his wife, uh, Robert Carroll and his wife, I believe her name's Inez, they 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 go to the library. I think it's maybe in Oz, the Lyndon Johnson Library, I believe. Um, okay, so they they go and they research it. They go to the stacks, and it's just not there. It's not just B-roll for glorified B-roll. This is them actually. This is just capturing another day of many days where they they check in in the morning. They have their stacks that they want to get. They, it's put on the table and they're all off in a certain section in, in the secluded section of the library. And they spend the whole day going through letters and going through just documents. And in all fairness, I had no idea I was going to tie this in. Going back to when I used to do a couple of columns on the Black Dahlia as a UCLA Daily Bruins student, I actually went to, to the UCLA URL library, URL library. I don't even know if it's still called that, but I actually went through the a lot of the papers myself and because I was a student. And that was, I spent a whole couple of days just going through old, just the newspaper clippings and stuff about the, the 19, late uh, 1947, 48 and the Dada killers and everything. Those eight hours go, goes by really, really fast. That was the one moment in my life where I actually felt educated and didn't watch movies. So I could actually relate to that researching part. There's one great thing. Another great thing about turn every page is to Eric's point, the researching, editing, and writing, you can actually use this documentary as your own masterclass course on how to proceed as a journalist or a writer or an editor. So I, I loved a lot of things about this. Bruce, Eric was mentioning about the, the final moments when, when there's not, not too much sound and it's music and you have to actually infer. Did that detract for you as well, those, those moments? It didn't bother me, but I think I have the perfect solution. 
I think mm-hmm. that when this comes out on the Blu-ray or 4K or whatever they decide to do, there should be an alternate audio track right there. And if you want to click on it, you get Werner Herzog telling you <laughs> what they're doing. <laughs> that would be very, very good. So that is Turn Every Page in theaters in New York and LA, and LA December 30th. I really love this movie. Look, I, I don't think I am actually interested in reading a Lyndon B. Johnson book. And that's how much I'm really, I really enjoyed this documentary for me, a five-star banger for Turn Every Page. I was absolutely, I thought this was going to be like a, oh yeah, cool, forgettable documentary. We can use it on our Christmas dead week, but it turned out to be quite a, quite the gem. And I actually put this, this might be right there as far as favorite documentaries. I think it might be right up there with Bad Axe right there. I don't know. We'll see. Eric Holmes, your rating on Turn Every Page. So this one, this one's difficult because this one left me wanting more, and there's already so much in it. So, I mean, that's that's definition of a five star, right? Like, no, but you, you get done watching it, it's like, can't this be ten hours longer, please? Can I watch just more of this? <laughs> yeah, but then again, in, in fairness to you, Eric, there's that that moment at the end that sort of takes the wind out of you a little bit. The moment, a, a little bit, but that that wasn't a problem with the like when you watch the documentary, you know exactly why they did that. Uh, like they explain Fair. it. So I'm, I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to ding the documentary for that. You know, they just, uh, but I mean, look, it, 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 and on top of that, if you're a writer at all, this will make you a better writer just with, with all the, all the information you get from, uh, Carol and Gottlieb. Like if you watch this and pay attention and take what they say to heart, that you'll just be better at what you do. Just you will. And so, okay. Well, Eric, you're a freaking writer. You're a writer. You write way more than Bruce and I do on a daily basis. Was it illuminating for you personally? Yes. Yes. Like by a lot. So, okay. Yeah. I, I, I think anything lower than five would just be uh feel wrong, at least from me. Maybe okay. it's like, maybe it's three star banger. Cause since I like writing this, like I think it's a five star, <laughs> but it's uh, like someone that's not a writer. I have no idea what they'll think, but th- this, yeah, this, this was a really great documentary. So five stars from Eric Holmes. Uh, he's very literate. I gave it five stars because I am very literate as well. So I guess anything less than five stars, you might be illiterate. Bruce Parker, you're rating on turn every page. Well, obviously four and a half stars for me because I'm illiterate. <laughs> Good, very good, sir. So four and a half stars for you, Bruce Berkey. That's still a very high rating. And I know you, you do you do mind your P's and Q's, but you can also read your P's and Q's too. So I'm going to defend you on that, Bruce Berkey. You know how to read. It's high marks all around. Five stars for me and Eric. Four and a half stars from Bruce again. New York and LA, December 30th. This is one of the big surprises for me. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm excited to, to read these books if we ever get to start reading books like Eric Holmes. Bruce, you and I should start like, trying to read once in a while what do you think we got we got we need we need some we need some learning what do you think learned in i need to learn uh, <laughs> i need to learn it sounds like a good idea but uh i got movies to watch okay i do too eric is reading fun yeah yeah <laughs> it can be um. okay i'm cutting i'm gonna cut that out i'm cutting that out from the, the podcast that's a lie so moving forward i'm kidding eric holmes i love you now let's go to let's go to Ryan Johnson. Is it Ryan or Ryan? Ryan Johnson? Ryan Johnson. Okay, my bad. Ryan Johnson, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. It's a mystery, and it has Daniel Craig in it. It's sort of like, what, an inspiration of like Murder by Death back in the day and The Cheap Detective, and it's Ryan Johnson's latest installment of A Knives Out Mystery, which, by the way, I, I was reading a headline that he did. He was a little bit critical of A Knives Out Mystery. He wishes it was just called Glass Onion. I don't know. Maybe Bruce and Eric will have something to say about it. Should have just been called Glass Onion. But let's go to Bruce um, and tell us about Glass Onion. Oh, it's me again. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. I can do this. Although Eric really should be doing this because I think he brought it to us. But anyway, whatever. Oh, Eric um, Holmes, why don't you do Glass Onion? How about you? Let's, let's swerve to you. Let, let's throw the onus. Glass Onion. Right. We're going to throw the onion at you. The knives out. The knives are, are going right at you, Eric Holmes. <laughs> um, well, as <laughs> far as calling it. on you. <laughs> as far as as far as calling it a knives out mystery, I wonder if that's just like for the posters or just so people know what it is. But like, I'm I'm guessing it's not like if you say glass onion and knives out mystery. Oh, okay, now what movie you're talking about? If you just say glass onion, no one's gonna go. Well, what's that? But anyway, yeah. Uh, re- regardless, this is a sequel to Knives Out, hence a knives out mystery, and uh, they go to. What what what's uh what's Daniel Curry's character's name? But what whatever it is, um, Hercule Poirot. 
think it's. Oh, I thought. Okay, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not Hercule Poirot. It's like it's like James I, Jimmy Bond. What? James oh, Bond? Benoit Blanc. That that's right. Benoit I, Blanc. I, I, I was okay. thinking Poirot, and like that's not right. That's the Murder on the Orient Express. But anyway, <laughs> yes. So um, uh, they go to an uh, island owned by uh, I think the island's owned by Edward Norton's character, and they just got a bunch of people showing up. They're all friends of his. Um, but Benoit Blanc shows up. He gets a uh, invite. They invites like this huge like a uh, uh, puzzle box, and so I'm sure that uh, uh, anyway they get this giant puzzle box, and they you know inside is an invitation. They all go to this place and. Edward Norton's like, I invited y'all here for this murder mystery weekend. I set up this grand murder mystery and we're all going to solve it together. Or you guys are going to solve it and we're going to have a great time. And then they you know, get together. Edward Norton's about to explain the mystery. And Benoit Blanc just kind of solved the whole thing almost immediately. Like, well, that's no fun. But then someone actually dies. So now there's an actual murder mystery that they got to solve. This was really fun. There's not a lot you can talk about it because then you'll just be giving stuff away. But I think even knowing, like, you know, once you watch the movie, once you know everything, I think the characters are so fun. And like the the whole movie is just, look, if you like Knives Out, this is more of that, just different setting and just as fun, just as great characters. And some ways, I think this might be a little better, might be a little worse, about the same, you know, depending on uh, your take but yeah this is really good dave bautista is hilarious he he might be one of our greatest comedy actors ever eric i see might, uh, 139 minutes on this movie is that too much no no in fact i it's, it's weird because i thought it was longer than that but not because it dragged but like we we saw a movie probably last year it was like real short but it felt long because it felt epic not because it felt like it dragged on. That's kind of like this. This feels like a full meal. I'm actually surprised you said it was that long because it feels like a much more engaging, epic kind of feel to it. Okay, very cool. Engaging, epic. This is going to be a really good review, really good rating from Eric Holmes. What about you, Bruce Perky? Superior to Knives Out? In my opinion, yes, but I was not a huge fan of Knives Out. I was, I don't remember what I rated it, but probably like, I liked, I thought it was okay, but I didn't think it was that great. I thought it was kind of overhyped, uh, kind of just this uh, new version of, like you said, like Clue or, you know, all these different kind of Agatha Christie kind of mysteries. And actually for the first half of this movie, I was kind of in the same place. I, I was enjoying it enough. But it wasn't really, I was like, what is this? What's all the talk about? What's all the talk about? And once again, I'm not going to spoil things, but it takes a turn at about the midpoint, a major turn in a certain character. And when that started happening, I started slowly getting more and more and more on board. And by the time I got to the end, I was thoroughly loving it and enjoying it quite a bit. For anybody that's more in my camp, that's kind of good to know that if you give this. I'm in your camp, Bruce. I'm in your camp. Yeah. If you give this a chance, it kind of does something where it kind of says at the beginning, it's like, oh, I'm going to be like the last one was. And then it does something a little extra. I feel like it does. And once it does that thing a little bit extra, I feel like a lot of people will, if they give it the time, will be on board. And I know everyone's been highlighting it, but I'll highlight it again because it's true. Janelle Monet, which I've, I've been a fan of Janelle Monet since what, tip, Tiptoes, whatever that song was she came out with, like, 12 years ago or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She is such a triple threat or quadruple threat. I mean, she's just amazing in every way. And I think this might finally be her coming out party. I know she's been in some really big movies like Moonlight and a few other movies and people know who she is, but this is one where she really, really is gets to shine. And uh, I just want to underline that with like as many underlines as I can, because I want to see her do as much things as she can do. Great ensemble cast. Was she the standout for you in this movie? Actually, they were all pretty darn good. I mean, mm-hmm. they all got they all got their moments to chew the scenery, but in great fun ways. I mean, even to the point of there's a I don't even know who the actor was, but the one actor, and I'll just say he keeps walking in and saying like, uh, "Just ignore me. Don't don't worry about me. I'm not here." Oh, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even that was fun. But Janelle Monae has a lot to do. I'll just say that and. So I think she gets to really shine in a way she hasn't necessarily been able to do much in acting before. Okay, very good. Well, Eric, you you being the writer of the bunch, and I, I mean that in a serious fashion, what did you think of Ryan Johnson's movie? This I never asked you this. 
What did you think of Brick, which was basically a script that is penned in the style of like Dashiell Hammett, hard-boiled noir? You probably don't remember it very well, but it's one of those these movies. I think you yeah. probably appreciate it now that you're a writer. You write a lot more. You know, Brick, Brick was like one of those movies when it came out. I remember everyone's falling over themselves about it, and I didn't really get it. Like I, I thought it was good. And I liked the noir thing in high school, but it was kind of like a, it, it felt more like a, an exercise, right? Not, not even an exercise. It felt more like a gimmick than anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I didn't, but I haven't seen Brick in, yeah, I, it'll be I, I interesting in years. to see what you would think about it now upon a revisit, since you've been working in this whole writing game a little bit more, you've been actually yeah. practicing. Uh, and on that same kind of ph- philosophical bent, Bruce, it'd be interesting because as much as you really love Glass Onion, not like you have the time to do it. Who knows? If you appreciate a follow-up to a movie that you were disappointed in, maybe you could go back to that movie that you were disappointed in and say, okay, well, I can enjoy it maybe a little bit more knowing that there's a little bit more stuff in the hearth. In this, in mm-hmm. this, like, does that make any kind of sense? Like as sure. far as, yeah, yeah, you know, you were expecting more, but maybe Knives Out might be, a, it's not a trifle to Eric because I know Eric like Knives Out, but maybe you might enjoy that little confection a little bit more with with your appreciation of class onion. Now that was just me verbal diary. I apologize for that. You're rating Eric Holmes on class onion. This might be four stars. I also want to point out Kate Hudson's also awesome. Yeah, and really again, good. another banger from Ethan Hawke. <laughs> he's in mm. it for three seconds. It counts. <laughs> it counts. It counts. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'd probably be uh four, maybe four and a half. I'll, I'll go four stars on this. Okay, four stars. Okay, Glass Onion, four stars from Eric Holmes. What about you, Bruce? I think I'll go four stars too, but I could see this one growing You know, as you come to love it. And once again, I, I agree. Uh, this has been a good year for Kate Hudson. Mm-hmm. Like She's becoming something different, I think, than she has been for so long. Okay, some some really good stuff. Yeah, you guys both loved her previous movie, and I forget what that was. It was- uh, Mona Lisa I, and the Blood Moon. Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. And what oh, you- that was her in that. like she stopped she stopped trying to be the romantic like foil for people like she's decided she can be other things i think yeah Mm, yeah so some some really good choices do you remember her in this movie did you ever see this movie who who directed it it was michael winterbottom and it starred casey affleck and kate oh uh the killer inside me the killer inside me bruce have you ever seen that movie eric obviously has seen the movie okay look I'm, i'm not Eric Holmes, I don't know if you're if I'm correct in saying this. You need to see the, okay, you were mentioning Kate Hudson. You need to see Kate Hudson in The Killer Inside Me. I mean, even Jessica Friggin Alba, but it's oh, one geez. of those movies. What yeah, Eric? For, for as long as you can see Jessica Alba, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> right. Look, there is a sequence with Casey Affleck and Kate Hudson in The Killer Inside Me that still to this day, I have no idea how they they committed that to celluloid. That's right, Eric. Do you remember that mo- that moment? Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I was uh, thinking the scene with uh, with Casey Affleck and Jessica Alba. But yeah, there's a, a, that's just a good movie. I did want to point out Kate Hudson also directed a short in 2007 called Cutlass. Mm-hmm. Got uh, Kurt Russell on that. It's a pretty good short. Oh, yeah, really? You could probably find it on YouTube, I imagine. But yeah, it's a it's a really good short. Okay, very, yeah. very good. Yeah, good, good on Kay Hudson. She's pretty good. She's pretty, she's <laughs> she's pretty good. She's pretty good. So it's not just almost famous. There's so many great movies. I I even like her her rom coms. Look, that's that's me being not the great arbiter of taste here, but I love I love her rom coms even. And you know what? I'm gonna go watch Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. And I still haven't seen. I, why do I keep Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon? I keep on thinking Mona Lisa and Mad Hatters, the Eldon John song, but Mona Lisa and the Blood. Moon. I definitely have to see it, see this movie sooner than later. So that is it. That is it for Glass Onion. We have our box movie. It is the Dario Argento film. Before we do that, you know what? I forgot this because we didn't do it last week, but do we have some kind of really cool intro, Eric or Bruce, to introduce Peter Beta to our to our cinematics universe again? It's anything quippy that you want to say about Pete or Dropping the bead, or should we doing something interesting? What, what, Eric? Bruce, I, what I, I, I think we should probably instead drop that beat. We should say, "Yo, Pete, rock that beat." Okay, one, two, three. Yo, Pete, rock that beat. Remove your hand from the box, and you die. It's in the box. Pain.
All right, that is Peter Beta, the German from from uh, what am I? What? <laughs> Middle class film class. I'm like, what am I gonna? Yeah, yeah, uh, Peter Bader from the middle class film class. I think I'm gonna have brains today. <laughs> you know what happened? I was thinking about Pete because he actually he did not just drop that beat, he, he did not just rock that beat. I was thinking just for a second that I still have yet to pick up the present he sent me a couple of days ago over my <laughs> the post office box. I just remember that I have to go pick it up tomorrow. I am sorry, Pete. I'm going to pick it up tomorrow. It, uh, the guy didn't have it when I went there. And I, I'm sure did Pete and did he give you guys gifts for, for yeah. Christmas or so? what? Okay. What did Peter Beta give you? Ooh, it's like, a, I don't know if you can see it, but it's a Mondo book, the art Ooh, of soundtracks. Nice. Oh, the art of bookmark on page 69 right there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> very very good what did he give you bruce uh i got the uh wolf children okay ray dvd digital that Ooh, comes sweet. with this like 50 page booklet and all kinds of stuff which i will probably review the physical copy of this at some point okay it's pretty darn cool well that is those are gifts from Peter beta over at the middle class film over at middle class film class thank you pete so much for your contributions to find your cinematics See how I just combined the two podcasts. Okay, let's go to the cat of nine tails, Bruce. This time, the onus is on you. Take it away. Oh, gosh. Okay. Eric, no. <laughs> okay, cat of nine tails, 1971. As we said before, Dario Argento. And it stars Carl Malden as a, a blind dude that's right next to this genetics research facility. Somehow he lives next to it with his granddaughter. And when he's there, he hears he hears something. And it sounds like a murder or something going on there. It's his uh, niece, not granddaughter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, niece. Thank you. I couldn't remember. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't take very good notes on this one. Thank you. So you helped me out on this. <laughs> James, Franc- James Franciscus is also in this as a reporter. You may know James Franciscus. I know him as the lead of, what do you think? One of those apes movies. <laughs> one of those apes movies. Yes. <laughs> Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which is the best Planet of the Apes movie from the original series. I'll just tell you that now. Oh, very um, good. Anyway. And, uh, it involves basically a murder, a break-in. Something is going on with this genetics facility, and it's causing people to get killed. They explain the cat of nine tails and what that all refers to in the, in the context of the story at some point in this. But basically, it becomes a team-up between Carl Malden's blind character and the reporter character by James Franciscus, and them running around following and trying to figure out giallo murders in 1971 Italy with lots of mod, fabulous fashion and lots of other things going on. And I don't know. What else is there to really say about this movie other than that? Okay. Well, well, oh, no. Okay. What else is there to say? Yeah. Who's the composer? Oh, yeah. Ennio Morricone. one of Ennio Morricone's lesser <laughs> scores. How dare <laughs> you, Bruce? No. How, okay. Okay. Fairness. Probably one of his lesser sco- scores. I still... Really enjoyed it, but oh, and Eric Holmes is still a staunch defender. He, he took umbrage over Bruce Perk. He's just shaking his head. Not a weak score, Eric Holmes. It reminded me a lot of Taking a Pelham One Two Three score, and okay. maybe that score from Taking a Pelham One Two Three even stands out and maybe doesn't fit. But so I still dig it quite a bit. Fair, Bruce. Okay, so you're saying let what a lesser Ennio Morricone song. Eric Holmes disagrees with you. Is this a lesser Dario Argento work for you? Well, he's done some stuff in the latter latter part of his career that's definitely lesser. This is, but this is okay. This is okay, Argento, for early film completists and for I would say giallo completists. It's it's got a lot of fun to it. It's it's got some camp appeal as well, but it doesn't quite have the the style. Like, I really love the style when he hits his stride. Like, to me, he starts to do it in Four Flies and Gray Velvet, and he really does it when he hits Red, uh, Deep Red. To me, he isn't really fully fledged until Deep Red. But this is still good, but it's not Argento with a capital A. Eric Holmes, is it is this movie Argento with a capital A? Do you push back on that, or do you agree with Bruce as far as it being a, maybe a minor Dario So, piece? Dario Argento is mostly known for doing like the giallo horror and this is just a murder mystery another murder mystery watch this week great but um (laughs) this is a pretty good one and i was had the the i guess the main issue i had with it was the uh uh, what's the guy's name the uh blind acting is not carl malden 
Yeah, Carl Malden. <laughs> he does that blind acting where like something's in front of him and he almost breaks his neck to not look at it because he's <laughs> blind and he can't see anything. And I guess that's what you do when you're doing the blind acting thing. As far as Murder and Mystery goes, uh, I really liked it. As far as the soundtrack goes, I really liked it. Thank um, you. That's very nice. Take that, Bruce. Take that one. Another I think st- Ennio's going to be okay. I think he... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I think another thing this has in common with Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 is the ending. The end of Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 is one of the best endings of anything. Probably right. top five, top five, top ten innings ever. Yeah. Um, this one's not there, but I do appreciate that when the movie is done, they cut the credits almost immediately. Thank you. Like, Love it, that. It, it's just yes. like, uh, movie's done. All right, wrap it up. It's like, we're not going to resolve <laughs> anything. It's like, resolve what? The movie's over. Let's, <laughs> we, we got stuff to do. Let's, you know, let's go home. And so that, that was pretty good. And it, it just felt real lean and just moved a lot for me. And I think you like this a little bit oh, more. Bruce. The, the train scene, the train accident scene. Yeah. Chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah. Chef's kiss. Well, you said chef's kiss. Chef's kiss for you, Bruce, or a little bit too over the top for you? No, no. I mean, I mean, over the uh, probably not over the top enough. That's probably the problem. <laughs> Look, you know, the Cat and I Tales. When Bruce picked it a couple of weeks ago, before the Anderson Cowan episode, I kind of remembered watching this movie. I kind of remembered because I actually did watch the Cat and I Tales about a couple of years ago when we started our whole Dario Argento thing with over. I think either it was either movie mainline or find your film. We were covering. I think it was it was find your film. We were covering, we spotlighted Dario Argento and Mario Bava. And I think for an offshoot, we would what we would do is we do all these different offshoots like we did at the beginning of the cinematics episode when we just talked about McGavin for ad nauseum. I just went on a cat the cat of nine tails trip, but I never I don't think I ever covered it on Find Your Film. And I there's a reason why two years later I forgot that I saw it. And it goes back to Bruce's review. It's a minor Argento film when you're talking about the actual story, because the story Obviously, it was not memorable, and I didn't even do a rewatch of it this time. I watched about 50 minutes of it, and then I realized Eric Holmes's review, which is focusing on some of the really cool visual, compositional, uh, the, the cutting, and the, the more like the mise-en-scene of the movie, of The Cat of Nine Tales, I actually glommed onto it upon this little mini rewatch. The ending of it is fantastic. We have so many different interesting shots. A, a lot of it is taking... I don't even know what, I don't want to say exactly where it's, uh, I guess we can say there's some rooftop sequences that which are really cool. Yeah. And it, whether you like the cat and like nine tails and you think it's a minor work like Bruce does or prefer it a little bit more like Eric does, you watch this movie from 71 and you realize Argento knows how to frame a scene. There's a scene where the journalist, he's just actually investigating the genetics laboratory and there's a lobby scene and there's all these people in it. It's awesome. It's beautifully shot. It's a non, it's an inconsequential moment in the movie, but it looks beautiful. Upon a rewatch, if you just actually, it's like Brian De Palma. If you watch a lot of his films and just forget about like, well, the movie, The Black Dahlia, going back to Black Dahlia, <laughs> that movie sucks. But if you actually turn on the volume down and just watch the images, it's pro- well, probably one of my top three Brian De Palma films. The Cat of Nine Tales, I'm not saying the movie sucks as bad as The Black Dahlia, but if if you just look at it on a visual level, it's beautiful to look at. I am sorry, Eric Holmes, for taking that long-winded answer, but you could say something. Yeah, I was going to point out the, uh, you were talking about like how he frames shots and even certain amounts of suspense, like the part where he's uh, getting a shave. Now, anytime they do a shave with the straight razor in a movie, I I always get nervous. It's like, oh, don't cut his neck. That's gonna suck. <laughs> and the the barber's sitting there talking to him while he's sh- shaving him with the straight razor, and he's like, oh yeah, it seems that uh, the murderer may be a barber. Now, if I was a murderer, how I would do it? And he's like, every time that every time that razor goes near his face, I'm like, just get up out of the chair and walk out. And of course. <laughs> The character does, and I was like, oh, man. Again, with the rooftop scene, there was, like, uh, just where he had the camera out, where, like, the guy would, like, kind of fall off screen. And I'm just assuming they're, like, next to the edge of the building. I'm like, oh, no, fall. Like, there's, like, a a bunch of really tense moments in there for me. Right, exactly. And there there is so much money that is spent on movies today that tries to build attention. Why can't movies that are, I don't know, budgeted it 
a hundred, hundred fifty million dollars. I'm not going to mention any names, you know, of filmmakers. I know, I know you guys are going to mention that maybe filmmakers that rhymes with Busso, but no, there's there are filmmakers who don't know how to actually build tension or, or frame a sequence with uh, with all that money, and it's it's really interesting to see movies even way back when they know how to actually build tension and to actually make things visually arresting. This is cinema, of course. So that said, the Cat and Nine Tales. Rating wise, I can't give it a rating because I, I didn't fully rewatch it. But Bruce Perky, what is your rating on the Cat and Nine Tales? Uh, I'll probably go three stars. Three stars? There's no, and it's not a banger, but it's three stars. It's a mild recommendation yep. from yeah. Bruce Perky. Okay, fair. Eric Holmes, your rating I'll, on the Cat and Nine Tales? I'll go a, a half star above because I do like the score on this. <laughs> so I'll go three and a half. <laughs> three and a half stars uh, on the Cat and Nine Tales. It's not a top shelf Argento, but it's still really good Argento. I still like it a lot. Actually, I eventually, once I, I'll probably get back to the Cat of Nine Tales as soon as I'm done with all those Lyndon B. Johnson books I have to read. But eventually, I think <laughs> I'm going to give it probably a three and three and a half star review as well. So, but ever, where did you catch this, Bruce? How did you see the Cat of Nine Tales? I believe it was on Shutter. Yeah, it was on Shutter. Yeah. I think Shutter. So all three, all three of us have been watching it on Shutter. But like Eric Holmes said, I believe a couple of weeks ago, the Cat and Nine Tales is available everywhere. Okay, everywhere, pretty much. You can watch it on Tubi if you want. So, and it's also available on Blu-ray and DVD. So that is the Cat and Nine Tales from Dario Argento. We are done with our Christmas episode, which I thought was going to be t- two minutes, but then we got you guys got me on this Darren McGavin kick, and we just we just uh, went uh, we went sideways. Any final thoughts from you, Eric Holmes? Yeah, check out my Darren's uh, meshes of the afternoon. Uh, what Oscar a pull Michaud. there! Check, check out some Oscar Michaud bangers and uh, how many other, how many other classic? Uh, At least Gabe Blachey. <laughs> there you go, Our, Eric Holmes. I know he's the avid reader. He's like going Marcel Proust on me. He's a very very reminiscent of our early days of when we were actually cinematic uh, auteur. I, I, what would we say? What's a perfect word, guys? We were really investigating uh, cinema, right? We were uh, low-gaping hipsters, I think is a <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yes, but yes. Maya Darren, Elise Guy Blachet, Oscar Michaud. What else, Bruce? Any any other filmmakers that we need to? Sidney Lumet, William Friedkin. Ah, yes, yes. Oh, shoot. My brain's... My Rent brain's a pal. Bad. The gin. I'm, I'm on uh, a lose a flower of evil. I, I can go. I can go online on this one. I, I wish I could go on online oh. on other things, but I'm I'm single. Yes, sir. Eric Holmes. So with cinematics, usually we talk about movies that are about to come out. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it's going to be called, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's coming out this year. But uh, Jonathan Quartas, who directed My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. Yes. If his Twitter's to be believed and that's still going, I think he might have another movie coming out soon. Maybe this year, maybe next year. But he tweeted something about something got green light or whatever, and he should be doing another movie. So we'll be keeping an eye out for that when that comes out. I recall Bruce Perky enjoyed. Well, mm-hmm. enjoyed is a really rough word. Um, my heart can't beat. Unless you- <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bruce Perky does recommend it, but. I, in fairness, Eric Holmes is very passionate about that film. I believe that was one of his favorites from that year, if not his favorite film of that yeah. year. It was your favorite of what? Yeah, it, it, it was certainly, yeah, it was certainly up there. So Eric Holmes, where can people listen to you wax poetic about this film? I don't on find your film on one of those. Uh, oh, uh, I was on uh, Walk the Cinema. And we actually, okay. we talked about that at length, actually. But I would go, I would watch the movie first because we get into pretty deep spoilers on that. But if you go on YouTube, look up Walk the Cinema. And uh, it's, I'm on one of the later episodes where we talk about My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. That movie's okay. so good. Were you oh nervous? Oh my about, God, that movie's so good. Were you nervous about them if they didn't like the movie and you, got, you had to talk about it? Or did they end up liking the movie almost as much as you did, Eric? And then, uh, they, they did like the movie, but I, I don't get nervous about that because if someone doesn't like anything that I do, then it, it still yields a good conversation. In yeah. fact, sometimes it you get a better conversation about it other yeah. than like, hey, it's great. Yeah, I agree. Well, good scene. Uh, like, <laughs> no. if you got something to go back and forth on, it right. usually it usually makes a more interesting conversation. I Fair. think. Very good, Eric. Next week, um, our next topic next week, we're not going to have any movies for the cinematics. We we want to. Our next topic, Bruce and I have been talk have been uh, clamoring about this. We want to talk about how Don't Look Up is a very underrated film. I don't know if you want to talk about that next next. I mean, you know, I, come I, on. I was right? ahead of the curve on that one. <laughs> <laughs> on that one, Bruce, are you ever ahead of the curve on anything? Final thoughts from you, Bruce Berkey. 
Uh, I'm ahead of the curve on pixing movies for my box. I keep forgetting the box every single week like a punk. I'm so sorry. I mean, at this point, that's the bit, right? That, that, that is, is the bit. bit that, really. that is the bit. Uh, yeah. While I'm picking from the box, let's see here. There's a curled up little piece of paper, like the thousands that are in there. The box, Bruce, what's in the box? Yes. What is in the box? Okay. This was uh, suggested by Jim Cummings. <laughs> oh, Jim Cummings, who was interviewed by Eric Holmes about a year ago. Yes. It's a 2018 movie called by Soon Rai Yim called Little Forest. I believe it's an anime movie. Hmm. Little Forest. I believe you are wrong. Are you? Well, let me look it up right now. Eric Holmes, Bruce, let's look up Little Forest because I think I want to. I want to prove Bruce wrong. I love. I love. Oh yeah, that's movies. such a hard thing to do. <laughs> yeah, Bruce. It wasn't the granddaughter. Oh. It was. It was the niece. We got a uh, Tubi, Plex, Roku Channel, Kokawa. Amazon Prime for a dollar ninety nine. Assuming I, it's called Little Force, I don't know if it's the correct one or not. By okay, Bruce Perky, Soon Ri Yim is a director. Am I correct on this, Bruce? Soon Ri yes. Yim, yes. Live Thank action. You. It's live action. Live action. It's cool. It stars the lead is this actress named Kim Tae You guys both know Kim Tae from a film she was in last year or this year earlier this year. Do you know what, what that movie is? Alienoid. She's the, oh, Alienoid. the but I more... actually want to see the next Alienoid now. I've turned the corner. <laughs> you better turn the corner. I was ahead of the curve on that one, course. But Kim <laughs> Tae-ri was also in another movie called The Handmaiden several years ago. Oh, yes. Oh, the, not Bong Joon-ho, the, yeah, the, the, uh, Chan, the Vengeance trilogy. Direct. Park Chan-woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Dark, he's got, he's got one out. The Decision. decision to leave, yeah, decision. It's, yeah, that exactly. One, yeah, that's exactly what every single woman has said to me in my life. A decision to leave. But no, that I ended up seeing that movie. Not a bad movie. Wish the ending was a little bit better. I know our buddy William Lindis over at the Movie Bears podcast. I think that's one of his favorite movies. But as far as Little Forest goes, long wind. And I apologize, Bruce Perky. I saw this about several years ago. I love this movie. And I'm totally going to rewatch this movie again. I don't want to say anything about it. I am going to correct you, as I usually like to do. Like you said, it's not an animated film. It's a live action film, but it's a very quiet type of Yasujiro Ozu light type of movie. And if you love food, Asian food, specifically Korean food, you're going to love Little Forest. And Eric Holmes, get on, get on the ball as well. I don't have to tell you to get on the ball because you're going to probably watch this anyway, but it's a beautiful, beautiful film. Excited for us to watch Little Forest next week. Bruce Berkey, final thoughts. I, I have nothing to say. This has been beautiful to be with you guys again after Christmas. You're filling my heart with joy. Joy! Joy to the world. Thank you all. <laughs>